if I love you, right, when a coach is not giving you their attention, it means that they've determined that it's not worth their time, energy, yeah. effort. And we, those are things that students, athletes, and employees <laughs> should, yeah. should take inventory of. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Bill Shankly. Some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more serious than that. My guest today, David Tyree, is a legitimate football legend. As a wide receiver on the New York Giants, he made what many consider to be the greatest catch in the history of the NFL, what's known as the helmet catch in Super Bowl 42, which happened against my beloved New England Patriots, by the way. Since his playing days, David has become a sought-after motivational speaker and a host of the top-ranked Catch the Moment podcast. David, welcome. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. Great to be here, Rob, man. How's everything going? Good. And I just want to start off by saying I think it's pretty big of me to have you on here because you you were responsible for one of the more (laughs) disappointing moments of my life, or at least my life as a Boston sports fan. You know, we had that perfect season. (laughs) You definitely got to tip the hat, man. The road to humility is definitely full of humbling moments, right? So, uh, yeah, definitely not the most favorite in the New England area, the Boston community, but it's all yeah. love, man. It's all love. It's all good. We, we have the shoe catch now. And I was at that game, so it helped. Had some healing moments. So I, I saw you speak earlier this year. I didn't know a lot about your story. Obviously, I knew about this painful moment in my sports history. But I'm really impressed with your story and the impact you made on and off the field. Take us back a little bit. Maybe start at the beginning. What was kind of childhood upbringing look like for you? Yeah, Essex County is inner city. You know, my mom... Dad out of Newark, East Orange, New Jersey, a little bit more strong city, rougher areas. But I was fortunate somewhere around the middle of the fifth grade to move it to a budding suburb, Montclair, New Jersey, which lots of people in the New Jersey area love to move to. Celebrities, Michael Strahan, Bobby Brown makeup, even Peter uh, King from, you know, like people love it. But it was a diverse community where sports thrive. And I'm um, honestly growing up in a single parent home. My mom was amazing working class parents. My dad was not too far around, right around the corner in Orange, New Jersey, East Orange. So I had everything that I needed, but I think when you grow up just missing something essential as a father, you know, you're looking for your identity. And um, early on, in, around that time, it was the typical vices for a young, young African-American kid. I found myself drinking at 14, smoking marijuana, right around the same time. But sports, my love for football and what football meant in that community, Montclair, New Jersey, was kind of the guiding light. And it really just kind of gave me the guardrails, for lack of better terms, where I didn't have a firm sense of identity as a young kid. And it proved well for me, obviously, and passion for it created opportunities to move out to Syracuse. So, but the vices, man, they followed me wherever I went and just created obstacles along the way. So that was a big part of the upbringing and yeah, is there more to it? Of course, but I mean, trust me, on the field, it was some special opportunities, but off the field, definitely had all kinds of um, obstacles overcome. So, do you come from a big family? No, nah, man, just two older sisters. One's actually nine years older. She went straight into the military, and so she was gone. But my sister and I, uh, who's my middle sister, the middle child, we're very close. She's two years older than me. Kind of peas in the pod still to this day. She's not too far away. So just two older sisters. I was baby boy and 
like I said, I was just fortunate to hook on to athletics in that town where football, basketball, baseball, eventually track through high school. But yeah, I mean, talk about some reckless, wild behavior. Junior years, like 40 ounce. My house was kind of like the spot. It was the safe zone for absolute high school buffoonery. And I think people in my area, I'm 43 years old, kind of remember that. It's more rough in the cyber streets these days. In my era, we were out in the streets. It was the days of rap culture, hip hop culture was budding. Even my sister knew like people from Naughty by Nature. We like, hmm. it was a rising. So yeah, it was 40 ounces in the weekend, smoke a blunt to the head, drink a half a pint of Jack Daniels. And that was like every week. Was your natural ability like just so good that you could overcome that? Or did you notice like that that was hurting you? And if you cut it back, you were playing better? I said my natural ability definitely overcame and I think I was definitely everything starts social right I think I come from the true sense of social age I mean the social interactions and we talk about peer pressure there's positive peer pressure there's negative peer pressure and the negative peer pressure is what I gave hold to in light of some of the lack but I call football is like a surrogate father sports has the ability to give you identity guidance affirmation etc and of course you have coaches who will play a role but the vices for me really got dark when I got to Syracuse. And, um, you know, that's Ben's drinking community. I know it's been ranked at the number one. It's cold up there. There's not, my wife cold. went there. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. Private, <laughs> private school, university, Marshall yeah. Street. And that's when the blackouts came. That's kind of when I really started to have a little bit of insecurity around it because high school was kind of like catch, you know, your weekends here, you get drunk, you throw up, you laugh, and, but it carries on up and you embrace the culture, you embrace buffoonery as a young kid and i know there's some rites of passage mentality to it but i certainly had moments where i was uncomfortable you wake up you not know what happened the night before you wake up not know if you actually slept with somebody what kind of crazy disease you could have got but you just kind of like mow past it as the day goes on and there's a new opportunity to be a fool all over again right and you know you get a couple pats on the back and you forget that moment of turmoil where your conscience is actually speaking to you So um, I definitely, that was most of my college career where blackouts came in and erratic and really unsafe behavior, but that's who I was. That's who I knew myself to be. My mentality was I'm down for whatever. Like on the field, you know, I was never one to start a fight, happy to finish it. 100% wherever you are. Yeah. So in these moments in either high school or college, when you kind of are having these amazing moments on the field, maybe off the field, amazing, but the impact afterward, not so amazing. Like, who were your mentors? And did you have like some of the coaches kind of come to you with ultimatums during this period? And like, David, you've got all this in front of you. Like, <laughs> you got to change what you're doing. <laughs> now, I kind of, especially through college, I really was able to keep an image. I was really able to keep an image. I, I was not, I think I was well-meaning, right? Like, I'm pretty honest, like, because I don't go too far for the good guy mentality in relation to holding high standards. When you know something's right or not beneficial, I think it's okay to just say, hey, man, this isn't beneficial. But I was able to keep up image, be in classes. If I got myself in trouble, I can get myself back on track. So I definitely held the good guy image where coaches probably didn't know how bad it could have been in those instances. So the first true person who I would say is like a mentor, even though he was a wild man himself, was my strength coach. And the reason why he became such an integral figure was because you know, Syracuse, I really, I wasn't the sexy athlete. I wasn't the guy that was the choice athlete. There were, especially at the time, there were premium athletes. There was Kevin Johnson, there was Quentin Spotwood, and 
Donovan was there for a year before he got drafted second overall. So the talent pool was a little better and I wasn't favored. So, uh, you know, William Hicks was one of those guys that even I was running low four fours and they would he looked at me like I was slow. So he was the first man, I think, that really became an advocate for me. But there was no one that was really changing the course, correcting me on a character level because the performance and the dog mentality was there. So it followed me and haunted me all the way to my first year in the NFL. So where were you drafted? Six round, six round, 2003 draft. Obviously, I'm not on the radar. It's actually my son was my motivation for the NFL. I didn't feel like I was doing great at college, so I never really had NFL dreams. But once he was born, that was my goal was to provide something unique for him. So I get drafted as a special teams player in the sixth round, number 211 overall, a compensatory pick. And even though I grew up hating the Giants because Leonard Marshall hurt Joe Montana, <laughs> it was a dream come true. Jersey boy, staying right home. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. I've heard you talk about this, but I think one of your, you know, there's talent and then, but it seemed like you were one of these people where you just weren't going to get outworked, right? And that was your MO. Yeah. I mean, I think what I reflect on and what I deem to be special about my road to the NFL was I saw what most players looked at as a demotion, as an opportunity. And special teams is not something that is celebrated. You know, it gets a little bit more um, respect now because of social media and you get a chance. You got guys Clicks. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got Matt Slater, who was probably the best all time. You know, yeah. he rivals Steve Tasker for the best goal all time. But yeah, it's just, it was 
No one wanted to do that. And I saw it as an opportunity because I wanted to contribute. So even when I talk to people today, I said, what do you value more, your success or the ability to contribute to something meaningful? And that's what sports really was. That's what the game was. I wasn't willing to sacrifice an opportunity to contribute while I was waiting for my moment of validation. So, um, yeah, it was all work ethic. I wasn't, you know, you look at athletes today, these guys are, they're mutants. You know, I tell people, you know, they're Lamborghinis. I was like an old 1970 Lincoln, you know, just long and wide turns. <laughs> you have to have a certain grit and a certain mentality to do what others are not willing to do and make necessary sacrifices to attain the goals that appear to be impossible. Yeah, so special teams, as you kind of alluded, for a lot of people in late round draft picks, is how you like have a chance to break in. It's unheralded. 100%. No one knows who you are. So you start doing that. You get to the NFL. It sounds like that's when you stopped some of the vices as well. Yeah, it was actually uh, my rookie year. It was kind of like the year of exposure, for lack of better terms. You know, now I'm on my own. I don't have the ecosystem of college and the routine of being a student athlete to protect me from myself. <laughs> so I'm on my own. And I was back home in my own environment. So now I have money that basically gives me more access to who I really am, more alcohol, more women. And now I actually have money to buy marijuana. You know, I didn't smoke that much in college because I didn't have no money. And um, obviously I was afraid to get caught in a drug test maybe up until my senior year. So it was more of a go home thing. And when I got to the NFL, it was every single day. I had the best bud and... So, uh, yeah, it was just lifestyle at that point. And at the end of the season, Jim, that was Jim Fossil's last year as the head coach of the New York Giants. And I get fined because uh, I was reckless. Man, I'm talking about showing up, smelling like a brewery. Played a number of times, missed meetings a couple of times. And uh, he hit me with about a $10,000 fine. And it should have been about $40,000, which <laughs> I was definitely certain that. It was a good deal. Yeah. It was a good deal. You got a group good discount. Deal. <laughs> good deal. Great deal. And so, you know what? I'm smoking the best bud. I might as well start selling it. So that's what I did. And somewhere after Mardi Gras, I was actually spending Mardi Gras with Ryan Clark. He was probably one of my only friends on the team because I had all my buddies from high school that I really spent more time with. But I went down to Mardi Gras to see him. I come back. I go pick up a half a pound of purple haze and end up getting pulled over coming off of the GWB. And that was kind of like my road to Damascus moment. You know, you see those red lights and in my head, I can just envision the ticker going across the television, David Tyree arrested on marijuana possession. And surely that was kind of like my road to Damascus moment. And in that jail cell, honestly, Rob, it was like, I think at 24 years old, I was leading my own life. I was sober enough to say, there was no one else really responsible. My friends didn't force me to do this. Yeah. Like I was, <laughs> this was me. And I just said, you know what? It was, I didn't grow up with a faith, but I just had a wing and a prayer. God, all I know is I need you. And if you allow me to keep my job, I'd appreciate that too. Three months later, I was literally a different dude. So there was no external, like no one kind of shook you. It was, you just had that moment of this isn't working for me. This ain't working, bro. And yeah. I think... <laughs> I think I've been sober as an individual in general. Everybody has a different cadence growing up. You might get frustrated with parents telling you what you can or not do and disposition toward authority. Well, I was kind of making most of my decisions as a young man for myself, bumping my head against. I got arrested twice as a teenager. I almost had to go to juvie. So, you know, my curves were earlier. <laughs> so at 24 years, I'm like, 
man, clearly I'm not that smart. Even though I got a degree, even though I'm in the NFL. <laughs> and it was just a sober moment. And next thing you know, God rescues me. No longer drink again. I no longer smoke again. I was married three months later. And I got on the road to becoming the man that I needed to be. And just able to envision myself as the athlete that I could be, the performer that I can be. And it kind of paved the pathway for stability, being a learner, reader, and just growing up as a man. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I think that, look, people have all kinds of circumstances that they either are born into or grow up with in different playing fields and whatever. But we seem to be adopting a mentality today of it's someone else's fault, so, you know, mm-hmm. something that happened before. Me. And what's interesting is there's no data that proves that that does <laughs> any possible good. If you're angry, if you feel aggrieved, if you're a victim, and I've heard similar stories to what you're saying, where when it actually made a difference, someone was like, look, it's up to me. Like, I got to do something different. Like, the circumstances are the circumstances, but like, the thing I can change is me. And I feel when people have this, the world is out to get me kind of viewpoint, they're probably not going to have that moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. The victim mentality serves no one, right? And I think there's things that will happen in life that are beyond your control, right? And if you make yourself subject to circumstance, you'll never pave the life that is filled with meaning, right? Filled with the prospect of victory or being an overcomer or finding what one determines to be success. So the victim mentality serves no one. It'll never serve you. It's just an excuse and a mechanism that we would like to distance ourselves from being accountable for everything that we're not. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like humans... Well said. We're innately meant to be something in the world, right? Like, and I think that's the relative part. Right. But yeah, no one's at career day saying, I want to be nothing, right? (laughs) I want to be a loser as a kid. So I think that's the, it serves no one. And the entitlement age is upon us and it's it's, it's sickening. So Tom Coughlin was your new coach then, right? Woo, but (laughs) (laughs) And he knew about this incident, obviously, right? So he inherited. Yeah, he had to give you that chance. Yeah, he, obviously his reputation preceded him, and he had no reason to believe anything that I was saying, even from the change, you know? Yeah. I'm sitting in front of this dude not too long. This all happens a month after his hire or so, where I get arrested. Really? Wow. <laughs> and right. I'm like, okay. And even though I had an extremely successful rookie season, NFL Special Teams Rookie of the Year, Giants Rookie of the Year, I mean, like, this is clean house time, right? And he had cover, right? He's like, I don't need this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, easy. (laughs) So that was something obviously gave me the grace to just work my way through the offseason and prove that. But even more so, he means so much to me because I had a horrible training camp that his first year as a coach, as a receiver. Mm. And I I did some things to to kind of be Did you play receiver your rookie year? I did. I had actually had a 100-yard receiving game, which coming off the bench, just getting an opportunity I'm super proud of. Didn't have too many opportunities there, you know, so... But yeah, I think I definitely over-delivered even in training camp as a rookie. So it was good. And then I delivered as a special teams player. So I was looking to gain, pick up on that momentum. But training camp sucked. And I think he just leaned on me, understanding what I brought as a special teamer. And that proved its value. That was Eli's rookie year. By the end of the year, we had a horrible season as a team. But I actually started the last game. And it was kind of like a nice little coming out game for Eli Manning where I, got, I started that last game against the Cowboys, seven catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. And Eli played really well, and we won the game. But it was definitely a big transition, and he had to believe that that the change that I was professing was true because my training camp said 
I don't need this guy. He's got a little something, but we can find a special teams guy anyway. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's work backwards from the moment of the catch, which is literally burned into my mind. So <laughs> you're facing the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. They're the first team in decades to go undefeated. Their Randy Moss has 50 touchdowns that year. I think you're fac- they're trying to become the first perfect team in the NFL. You guys are huge, huge underdogs. There's a fourth down play. Manning scrambles. The game would be over. Throws this ball up. You just make this absolutely ridiculous catch so that's the and then giants go on to win the game and break the hearts of every patriots fan <laughs> out there <laughs> i can, I can sense, I sense how hard that was for you. yeah it was that was hard was, but look i appreciate i mean it's like art you appreciate quality i always no loved question. Derek jeter i mean didn't love Derek jeter let's go but <laughs> he played hard he played right like there was no you can't not like the guy but look there's always the story but i think there's what came before the story? And I think of this because there's the Malcolm Butler, another famous catch in the Super sure, Bowl. Sure. And like they were supposed to run and they threw and he was there. And then you watch the behind the scenes NFL films and you see the coach pulling a card three days before and running, practicing for this play and talking about what they would do on this play and training Malcolm. So there's always kind of a story. So sure. how did you get yourself to be on the field and in that play and have that chemistry? Like, what was the lead up to that that no one sees? To summarize it, honestly, I, I would say the lead up to the helmet catch was my entire body of work in pursuing being a third receiver in the NFL. Yeah. My third year, I won the third wide receiver position. Eli had a maturation process. So anybody, everybody, he, you know, Eli was on the chop block the same year we won the yeah. Super Bowl, right? So it didn't work out for me. They wanted somebody else in that role. And I was always just kind of like pecking away the ugly duckling in the receiver room. You know, the guy that, that does all the right things, knows all the assignments. Cleanup work, yeah. Yeah, but we can trust them to do, but we'd rather have somebody else. Let's draft another guy. So and even the story of that season specifically was 
of course I'm competing in training camp, but I get hurt the third preseason game. I miss the rest of that, the first two regular season games. And the cool part about it, I think it was the year before the Colts win it, so Peyton, Eli's brother, wins it. And I just kind of had this eerie feeling that something special was happening. Of course, I'm settled in my faith. I kind of like got a little bit of a spiritual leader kind of tag in my backpack for the team. But I wrote this letter to the team like, hey, man, we need to something special is happening. All the crazy naysayers in our crazy media world in New York. But yeah, I'm kind of in this fifth receiver role, special teams. I come back. No worst statistical year of my life as a special teamer. No opportunities as a receiver. Got some spot work against Chicago. And next thing you know, my mom passes away as we're preparing for the Washington Redskins game where we hit a rough patch and a rough stretch. And honestly, I missed that game and I missed another game. And it came back. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of in the game plan as a fourth wide receiver against who? The undefeated Patriots for the final regular season game. So that is kind of like the regular season buildup where it's like, man, I'm out the picture and all of a sudden I'm kind of I'm in the picture. Jeremy Shockey gets hurt. We go from more three wide to four wide. And it was to me, the buildup was my entire journey looking for a moment of validation, looking for pounding the pavement, earning my stripes, getting knocked back down and finally arriving at this place where now things are paying the price even up to the point of losing the most precious woman aside from my my wife, arguably, at the time, formatively, right? So, yeah, I mean, and all of a sudden, we're kind of catching this wave through the end of the season and the playoffs. And here's the little engine that can't making its way. And what's notoriously told is the Friday practice before the Super Bowl where I drop almost everything. <laughs> So, yeah, it was the worst practice of my life. Forget my NFL career. You call a Friday practice, is like a dress rehearsal. So you kind of like... Right, right. It's like a walkthrough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you like it's, you know, you get some situation in football. It's not the absolute walkthrough, but it's kind of like we're slowing down. We want to be crisp, right? And it was anything but crisp. I'm taking all Plaxico Burris' reps because he's slipping in showers and doing all kind of crazy stuff. We don't know if he's playing. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness, man. You're talking <laughs> about a soap opera, this dude. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a horrible practice. But honestly, I didn't give it any thought at all. I've never taken the, yesterday's work into the next day. And Eli came to me after the practice saying, man, you know, you've been a gamer. I know you'll be ready. And that's where it was. And I left it out there and go out. I will say a pretty cool story that I have shared in, so, in, in some spots is the spiritual side was at an all-time high the night before, and my teammate's mom was like a pastor in Jacksonville. She says, David, so we prayed the night before again. Get me a, I, I take a little blessing. And I, <laughs> Yeah, whatever what do you got for me. Yeah. Whatever you got, I'll take it. Yeah. I need it. And she said, yeah. uh, we were praying, praying. She said, David, God is quickening your feet. He's giving you the hinds feet like the feet of a deer to jump high. I'm like, okay. And she says, God is putting spiritual glue on your hands. And she's this radical, man. She's like a charismatic woman from Jacksonville, got a gold tooth in the mouth. She pastors. She's great. She's just a real normal person on the grand scheme of life. She says, God is putting spiritual glue on your hand. I'm like, I'll take that too. And then she says, the Lord is going to give you the big play. Wow. Now, Rob, when she said this, in my head, I'm like, there was- Can I call her? I got some sports bets I want to- No, I listen, wanna... man, you, you <laughs> might need to. You might need <laughs> But in my head, I'm actually thinking- there's a play that was designed for me in the game. I'm like, yo, if they call this play, 
Yo, I got it. I promise I'll give you all the glory. And they actually did. I scored a touchdown to go ahead in the fourth quarter. So I'm thinking that's the big play. And the husband actually got on and says, the world will no longer remember you as a special teams player, but as a wide receiver. So those four things said to me that were hit all to the T. And that's how you, I just knew that it was bigger than me when the moment came. We all witnessed the helmet catch. Did you think you caught it? Oh, I knew I caught it. I knew I caught it. <laughs> well, you didn't know if it hit the ground, though. I never knew that it was on my helmet at all. Yeah. Huh. And I actually didn't see it until we got back to the hotel. So I gave Eli all the credit. <laughs> and after I finally saw it, I was like, give me a little bit of that back. Yeah, you did your thing. You did your thing. <laughs> so you caught lightning in a bottle. I think what a lot of people may not know is that was your last game in the NFL, right? It was the last catch. Yeah. Injuries last. the next year. And I cut from the Giants. Must you know That was my seventh season in training camp. And by week four, I got brought on with the Ravens as a swan song special teams year. Big shout to John Harbaugh. He's always a great organization. But yeah, all I did was special teams with the Ravens. So you retired that year. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? Like, how do I, <laughs> right? You've got this thing, which can be a blessing and a curse, right? You don't want yep. to be known by this one thing, but you've taken this and created a lot of good around it. So talk about, was that, did you know what was next or did I you? I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think my identity was secure. Like my family life was strong. Like whatever makes you strong as a human was secure in the transition phase, but I didn't invest a lot of time into what I was going to be the best at next. And I think that's the biggest drop off and transition for NFL athletes is you're the best in the world. Yeah. Athletes in general, right? You're the best in the world at something. And now... And part of a team, right? And that's part another, of a yeah. team, right? Yeah. So you, you have a natural ecosystem that you belong in. And unless you're intentional about paving the pathway out, then there's going to be some insecurities moving out. I think my financial advisor tried to just create a lane for me to figure it out. And it was a bad experiment, I would say. You know, I think he had ideas that weren't fully fleshed out. So for about a year and a half, I was just kind of floating around, not sure exactly what I wanted to do, working around with him. And we ended up putting something together, but it didn't fit. And I just, I started utilizing my networking resources. Troy Vincent has been one of the most profound um, mentors to me, was able to find my way back into the player development space. And that's kind of where I landed. And served up until 2020 athlete development, which is really leadership development, transition assistance, and total wellness is the comprehensive service on and off the field of the athlete. So it fit really well for me. I'm service-driven, I'm people-driven. And um, yeah, and it's just gave me the opportunity to be good at something while still learn and perfect my craft and just learn not just the business of sport, just really grab hold of new market sectors and understand what life really looks like. I really enjoy learning things outside of the world. It's not that you perfect sports, but it's such a a fishbowl that if you're not intentionally engaging in other areas, the only other area where I engaged in was my spiritual life on a very, very deep and intense level. So um, it was just kind of like that was the blind spot for me. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I know you've focused a lot on leadership and I think the 
you know, when I heard you talk, one of the proudest areas of leadership for you is your family and your kids and sort of the type of father that you wanted to be. So talk a little bit about that. And what are your sort of parenting principles that you've maybe learned through life? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a, I'm going to capsize this as best as I can. <laughs> so my wife and I, we've homeschooled. You have a big family, right? I do. Yeah. We've homeschooled for 15 years. We're two years away from a 15-year stretch. Wow. And I um, have seven children. My oldest is 21. My youngest is 10. We're definitely Christian. So we're kind of like, people will look at us like we're the Navy SEALs of the Christian <laughs> community, if you want to call it that. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, do you do anything halfway? Like, I just don't have that mentality. Like, I'm like, when yeah. I drank alcohol, I drank my alcohol straight. You're all like, in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just all in. Like, let's do this. And I think you learn how to grow in love. So if there's principles to it is, you know, love and discipline, right? I think love and discipline love doesn't lie right and i feel like the biggest need in the leadership space is understanding the truest context of leading with love right and love isn't like this effeminate term yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's extremely masculine <laughs> it's like and i think family brings that to the surface in a really profound way so we've disciplined our children well whether that's all forms not just one not just Spanking, but inclusive. And by that, I assume you mean like you've held them accountable, right? Absolutely. And you have standards and rules in your family. Absolutely. Yeah. High yeah. standards. Yeah. High standards. <laughs> and that means I think well of them. I have a, we have a saying that love demands the best of its recipients, right? Love demands the best of its recipients. And I think that can be true in the workplace. That can be true amongst the coaching community, right? The team community. If I love you, I won't lower the bar. That means I don't think well of you. If I love you, right, when a coach is not giving you their attention, it means that they've determined that it's not worth their time, energy, yeah. or effort. And we, those are things that students, athletes, and employees <laughs> should, yeah. should take inventory. Yeah, and look, you are a real athlete. <laughs> In my suburb, I see a lot of not real people who are not athletes who want their kids to be athletes, right? And this is what we see. And so... The biggest mistake that they, and I think of parenting and what you basically said is the anecdote is that is the love seems conditional. Like the standard is how you get the love, right? You perform yeah. well, you get my adoration, you don't. It seems really hard. And look, I've watched some of these segments or NFL films. Some of the greats had just brutal parents, oh, right? Man. God, yeah. and, and I watched Barry <laughs> Sanders one and he actually said something that was fascinating at the end of his football life. He said, I don't think that my kids will be the type of athlete I was because I'm not willing to do to them what my father did to me, which was a very powerful sort of thing. So, like, I think, again, we are saying that love is unconditional, but we have these high standards, right? And we sure. expect you to meet them. Yeah, I think that it's great to actually note that because I believe that there's the radically life-changing, unconditional love that we have to offer. Yeah. And then there's the affirmation that every child is looking for that is also earned. Yeah. Like there's some affirmation that my kids are going to have to earn. Right. <laughs> it's like and I believe like a man is a man when you tell him he's a man. Right. And so then he's a young man. Yeah. And I think there's certain things that we have to be OK with withholding. But that's not withholding love. That's withholding honor. Yeah. And those are distinct attributes that if you're kind of keen and aware, you could understand like, hey, man, I'm proud of you. I'll never stop loving you. But that effort that you gave was unacceptable. So I, you can't, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to lie to you about yeah. what, my love is not going to delude. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the you know, truth. Yeah. Delusion. Exactly. So 
15 years of homeschooling, both you and your wife? My wife is the pioneer, man. I was okay. superintendent. I made sure she had everything that she needed. <laughs> and the substitute teacher I, and the superintendent. <laughs> yeah, I, I get in the ring every now and then. But yeah, she's a certified nurse midwife by trade. And she sacrificed a lot. I think we sacrificed a lot, you know, raising seven kids in North Jersey. I've never made. What's the age range? Now they're 21. 21, my boys are 21, 19. Twins, they're uh, Super Bowl babies. They're 15. And man. 13 boys, 13, 12, and baby girls, 10. You got a lot of teen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a never-ending. This is. I bet there's a lot more talking back to the teacher now. You know what? My wife's a drill sergeant. People think <laughs> that I'm hardcore. <laughs> oh, buddy. There's no talking back to her? <laughs> no, buddy. So what do they do? Are they? you have some athletes? Are they all across the board? No. Obviously, when you have seven children, you have limited bandwidth, right? Yeah. So you have to, they, my boys, I think we gave them exposure and opportunity. And when they were younger, they lacked initiative. So I wasn't willing to make something for them. And one of them probably would have benefited if I just kind of kept with it. But I'm like, hey, I can't make this my passion. This has to be yours. So I want to be into what you're into. Right. Yeah. And he was obviously the game is a massive hurdle. I've been very conscious of screen time and games. So mm. that wasn't something I was going to give my sons over to completely. And that created tension in our relationship with yeah. them as teens. So I fought that battle. That is the fight in, in every household these days. I'm and telling you. It's interesting because I think that, and my wife and I talked about this, like clearly there's an addictive property to these things, even though it's sure. not physically, maybe chemically addictive. And if your kid was sitting there drinking beer in their room, you would not be a bad person for going and taking it out or drugs or otherwise. But there's this peer pressure thing of like, oh, you're a horrible parent for doing this. But you're like, no, I see that this is unhealthy. I see that this is excess. But people don't treat it like these other class of things that, but the data would say that it causes them to be depressed. And if there was other things that your kids were doing chemically that you knew had the same outcome, you would have no regret about shutting them down. <laughs> Trust me, it's so in front of us, right? We can look into their eyes and see many of them peel away from the screen looking like zombies. And once you see it, it's actually, it hurts your heart a little bit. It's like, man, are you okay? Are you with me? You know, the blinking is like, you can see yeah. they're humans and we need human interaction. Like most of our advancements are 150 years old, right? We just yeah. look at the world that we've yeah, lived our hardware, in. Our hardware is, is old. Yeah. yeah, like humans have been around for centuries and it hasn't included the depth of now we're in the, you know, this information technology age, even now AI, this is like some seriously yeah. dangerous stuff. We are, you know, we're socially driving and mechanically driving outcomes and humans are subject to it. So if you're not intentional about pulling your kids out the fire, then you need to be okay with an outcome that you probably didn't sign up for. So David, what's keeping you busy now? I know you've got a whole bunch of different business initiatives, nonprofit, otherwise, give us an overview of your little growing empire. Yeah, the <laughs> primary, <laughs> it's been that. I think 2020 was a turbulent transition out of the NFL front office with the Giants. You know, on March COVID, May, the Giants just told me, you know, went in a different direction, professionally tough, but that's life. Yeah. And in June, we were kind of stuck with a single unit franchise in the middle of the pandemic and which I was planning on still working full time. So I had a great plan and you know, that's what happened in life where circumstances you can't control. So it, it just forced me to just be who I am, right? When you're in the ocean, you either sink or swim. So we swam through it. I was able to just kind of leverage my own name, NIL, into some media opportunities. So I 
doing a lot of work. I was doing some respective work with MSG. And now I should just focus. I really do enjoy the perfecting of offering my story, keynote speaking and consulting, aligning my brand with different companies and properties where my own insight and information as a leader along my journey, experience and value works well with them. So this year has been really, really focused on keynote and it's been successful. So along that, there's a couple consulting clients on the coaching side and brand alignment side. We've launched Kiss the Moment podcast. And of course, there's always a few other little long-term plays with the esports company, Play, Play ESG, having some role with that myself, connecting them with Sean Merriman, with Sean McCoy. So projects in the toe, but primarily has been, let's get back out there and tell people the story behind the catch and what 15 years since the helmet catch has been like. And I know you've talked about in a lot of your work, the need for, and, and particularly maybe in the last couple of months, but the need for greater character in the world today. And I, I know you've tried to fill that need through mentorship. What are some of the principles that you kind of share in the people that you mentor? What's your focus? Yeah, the focus is integrity and understanding the depth of what is character. The simplified definition is who we are when no one's looking, right? But I think fully understanding the process of self-development few keynotes that I don't share, I don't at least break down what I call the four core components of your character, which is your values, right? What drives you, what align you. The second one is your identity. How do you see yourself? But dangerous things potentially are I am statements that don't last. I was born to play football. Man, that's a dangerous one, yeah. <laughs> right? So That's defining right. you based on what you do, right? Not there who it you is. are. Not yeah. based on who you are, right? So yeah. you have your values, your identity, you have emotional stability. My first year back in the front office was Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie year. So we know if there was any liability to Odell Beckham Jr.'s career, probably the only liability was his inability to channel those dynamic emotions in a profitable way amidst the New York media market, right? Yeah, it's a tough, it's tough, yeah, yeah. It's tough, right? That's why we praise Derek Jeter, right? So (laughs) your emotional stability is the third component. And the fourth component is your discipline or your self-control, the ability to temper, do what you don't want to do. So few components in my, I'm just into this reality of self-awareness is my superpower. I had a keen sense of what I was and what I wasn't and able to position my strengths and maximize them to add value in whatever ecosystem team that I went into. And that's the only reason why I had an NFL career. If it wasn't, For me, looking at that white space of special teams and saying, man, I'll take the cross. Then there is no six-round pick, which I was just looking for a chance. Just give me a chance to get in the dance, baby. And next thing you know, I'm carving out a fair opportunity, which leads to, fortunately, that moment of true affirmation for me as a receiver. Like, yeah, I know that I'm more than just special teams player, but I got to go prove that. I knew I wasn't flexible burst. And I'm not going to sit up here and lie to myself. Like, if he drops one pass, they're going to get over it. If I drop one pass, they're going to say, this is why this guy's not playing. I understood things like that. And I understood that I had less margin for error, right? So those are the things that I try to help people begin to contextualize, see themselves in, and how to create a roadmap to closing the gap and maximizing your stress while you're still um, fortifying your liabilities. All right. Well, David, last question for you. So I would say this is multi-choice. You can, it's singular, repeated, or professional or personal. But what's a mistake that you made that you learned the most from? 
Oh, man, a mistake that I made. Oh, my goodness. I made so many. (laughs) (laughs) You only have to pick Um, one. Yeah, that I've learned the most from. I think if I had to choose one, it would be, I'll pick the most recent one. What sent my pandemic experience into a frenzy, I used my home as a, you know, I had an SBA loan on the business Hmm. and we weren't going to move. We felt like we made the decision that we weren't going to move. We looked at moving and I used my home to secure the loan. And obviously it took us almost a year to build out this space that we had, that where our story is. It's now called Tyree's Table, but we had to transition from under the franchise. And so over that year, the market shifts and it's like, oh, okay, you know what? We thought about selling a home. Let's sell a home. We get all the way to closing day. Our lawyers missed this thing in the whole process. Oh, you got to lean. And yeah. We got to lean on it and we can't close. And here I am, 10 people in my home, and I'm like next to being homeless. And what I realized is it was another opportunity to, to take a deeper depth into being accountable and owning every detail of the process. Detail, detail, detail. And obviously, I think there is a main thing, but details is what brings forth excellence. But that super minor detail, should I have had some support, somebody to kind of back me up along the process? Yeah. But my mindset of being ownership uh, minded and being shrewd through the process would have created, you know, maybe potentially covered and not has been such a tumultuous transition in so many different areas. So I feel like some things might not be completely avoidable, but when I look at it, it still gives me the chance to take a little bit of ownership for it and find out what the gym is, what opportunity is. Had I been there before? No. Should I have some help? Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, that was a liability on my end that I didn't cover well. So the ownership mentality and and what I call owning your wealth is really deep into taking those mistakes, poor decisions, and and making them lifelong lessons because they cost you something. It cost me <laughs> cost me a lot of energy in the middle of a tough time yeah. in transition. So I'll, t- I'll share that one. Awesome. No, I think that's a great one. So, David, where can people learn about you and your work and all the things that you're doing? Yeah, the easiest way is right to the website, davidtyree85.com. Hopefully, we'll try to keep that fresh and up to date from speaking, coaching, collaborating, and consulting. But I'm just really excited about where we are today. It's been an interesting journey from still, of course, close to sports but just getting people up to date on what 15 years has looked like after this. I can't believe it's moment. been that long. Yeah. It's wild, buddy. Yeah. It's wild. And we obviously, we actually launched the catch camp last year to celebrate 15 years, which is a unique camp that marries sports. Obviously the game of football on the field, leadership development and careers in sports. We're excited to kind of give some uh, investors and some exposure to that and kind of grow that cross scale because that's really been my life this how the game or how sports creates unique opportunities learning lessons in life and leadership and now that the business of sport is fully mature there's every opportunity for families to equip their children with these antidotes and create lifelong opportunities in sports not just when the game is over feed the dream paint the reality awesome perfect way to end so david thanks for joining us today and sharing your amazing story and congrats on the 15 years since that catch Rob, really appreciate you having me. It was a great time talking. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to David and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to follow the Elevate podcast on whatever app you're using to be notified about new episodes and have them downloaded automatically. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.